This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hello and welcome to Scran, the podcast passionate about the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and on this episode, I'm joined by TikTok star turned author Conlock McLeod, otherwise known as the Hebridean Baker. In our chat, we discuss how he came to baking, his early food memories, and how island tradition and folklore combine with food in his latest book, My Scottish Island Kitchen. We also discuss if he's a fan of the Bake Off and how his life has changed, as well as what he thinks of Scottish food's connotations with stereotypes such as the deep fried Mars bar. Hello, I'm joined by Cunyoch McLeod, who is the Hebridean Baker. Hi there, how are you? Well, sure, Rosalind. How are you? Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, if anyone's watching this in the video, we've just been talking about how much I look like a ghost. So yeah, it's a it's a lovely <laughs> autumnal Scottish day, which is chucking it down. But what a nice atmosphere to be talking about home baking and um, your new book as well. Exactly. Think about it. Just like you're inside. It's all cosy, looking at the storms outside. So it's the it's the perfect time to talk about Hebridean Bagel Bakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for anyone that doesn't know, and we we'll just go right back to the start. Um, how did you come to be the Hebridean baker? Well, I've always been a, a really passionate home baker, but I, I can near I can really pinpoint the moment when I decided to do it. I uh, was over at my aunt Bellock's house, uh, my dad's oldest sister. She's ninety three, and she had a clouted dumpling bubbling away in the stove, and she was telling me she had made the dumpling, the cluted dumpling, or duff, as we call it in Gaelic, uh, the same way for the past 80 years. And um, she was just telling me stories about traditions on the island. And I thought to myself, you know, I want to make sure that people on the island don't forget these stories and recipes, not ever imagining that anybody off the island would be interested. And so I started creating wee videos and 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 stories online. And I think now I've had 21 million people <laughs> watch them. So I definitely know there's not 21 million people on the Isle of Lewis. So there's definitely <laughs> a few people off the island who are watching them. Yeah, so that's... That, that's- but I mean, that'll probably um, chime with a few people. I, mean, I know I've had my cousin's gran, she used to make an amazing dumpling and like she always, we remember her through like home baking, but we don't have that recipe anymore. So I'm, that that kind of chimes with, probably chime with a lot of people. So that was your starting point of like wanting to kind of, you know, keep these things alive. And then it, it came alive online. And at, at what point did you think, wow, this is really kind of starting to change my life? <laughs> Um, it was kind of plodding along for a couple of months quite nicely, getting a few thousand views, which is still unbelievable. You know, I didn't expect that. And then uh, one morning I woke up and the day before I had posted a video about making a carrot and a cardamom loaf. And the next day I woke up to 
like hundreds of thousands of views, tens of thousands of you followers. I was like, okay, that was a good carrot cake, but it wasn't wasn't that good. And unbeknownst to me, and not until uh, nearly a month later, um, Elle magazine, you know, the American uh, magazine Elle, uh, the columnist had had written a column and it was when our old pal uh, Donald Trump was trying to ban TikTok and she had written a column. I think the headline was, the only thing I'll miss about TikTok is the Hebridean Baker. And she basically wrote this big story about finding me on, on TikTok. And I think she said, um, I, I sounded like a, what she imagined a piece of shortbread would sound like when it came out of the oven. <laughs> and I just suddenly got this huge, huge American following uh, after that. And it just kind of started to grow and grow. And honestly, Rosalind, the adventures I've had because of this have just been amazing. Is there any one particular thing that really stands out um, from, from when it all kicked off? Well, um, I was lucky enough uh, to do an American book tour uh, for my first book back in, in May. And I was walking down Fifth Avenue in New York and I was with my partner, Peter. And he's, he said to me, says, I bet somebody will recognize you here. And I was like, no way. There's no way on Fifth Avenue in New York, somebody's going to know who I am. Impossible. I'm not joking. Like I would say, not even a minute later, this guy shouts across the road, "Hey, Hebridean Baker, I love you!" Like that, and I was like, "This, what is happening to my life?" Like, rewind a year ago, people wouldn't have shouted at me, or they might have shouted at me and stormed away, but not for the good for good reasons. Um, but now I've got people in New York knowing who I am. I mean, I've had so many amazing pinch me moments. And just constantly proud that I can, yeah, be it in Stornoway, New York, London, Glasgow. Um, I've been able to promote uh, Hebridean heritage and stories and culture and our recipes. And that's, uh, that's amazing. And have you found as well that, so, you know, the stories and the heritage and things, is, is that, have people been quite surprised by that in terms of like, maybe they don't know, like, is it been quite a learning journey for people? Because it's a real part of you and part of the book and obviously part of everything you're doing. But have you had any moments where people have been quite taken aback by that side of things? Yeah, I think a lot of people even just learning about the language of Gaelic has been very interesting uh, for people. The fact that it is still a spoken language, it's just, a, it's, it's my first language, I speak it uh, every day. And it's, I've been so proud that so many people have said, I've started learning Gaelic because of you know, your stories or, or, or your book. Uh, and so that's that's fantastic. Even telling people about our history and the fact that the Hebrides were part of Norway for 400 years. And that's very much influenced my second book because I decided to put a, a chapter of Nordic uh, bakes in it because we do, I mean, to put it into context, uh, my island. We're closer to the south coast of Iceland 
than the south coast of England. So we do look north quite a lot and get influences in that way. So, and, and it is one of my favourite uh, chapters in the book today. So how do you go about sort of developing your recipes and things? I mean, in the book, there's some things that have obviously come maybe from your family, but like any sort of new things, how how do you kind of start that process? <laughs> well, I have to say that, again, I still just call myself a passionate home baker that's that's what i am so creating a, a cookbook is is a is a wonderful experience i learned that it's most common for a cookbook to have a hundred recipes but mine have 75 because they wanted me to have the stories and the, the beautiful photography uh, in the book but the first thing i did was kind of structure the chapters and they're set around either a flavor or a key ingredient like whiskey or oats or something like that. And then from that, I must admit, I found the process, I found it really rewarding um, where I ended up having more recipes than than I actually needed for the book. Um, but they come from all areas of inspiration. You're right. Family and friends play a big, big uh, part in this. And I'm always getting people going, oh, have you made this or have you heard of this recipe? Um, but I also love looking at um, old Scottish cookbooks. There's one uh, from 1929 called The Scots Kitchen uh, by F. Marion McNeil. And it's my favourite. I've always got it on, on my table. I absolutely love it. But I found another one recently, which is from 1829, and her, she, a bit like myself, she had a kind of alter ego in a way. She called herself Mrs. Dalgrens. And she was she was born on Prince Edward Island in Canada, but her parents were Scottish. And she wrote a book, The Practice of Cookery. And it was um it was for for housekeepers who were starting, you know, maybe their first job at a new house, and it had 1,424 recipes in it. So I feel with 75, I'm a bit of a lightweight with only 70, 75 recipes in my book. But I took I took uh, my Caledonian cream uh, recipe from that. And uh, so I love doing that. But And also just, as I said, taking a classic and just putting a Scottish flavoured twist one of my favourite things to do. Do you have the same kind of reaction as I do when people talk about deep fried Mars bars? Um, you know, I've got to say, I have I have had one once, uh, like quite a posh one. They made the Mars bar and then deep fried it. And I have to say it was absolutely spectacular. But yes, you can imagine the amount of times in interviews, particularly if it's um, from maybe England or overseas, they ask me about deep fried Mars bars, and I'll stay positive, you know, because it's it's still seen as part of Scottish cuisine. Maybe even though it's not the part that we want to to celebrate, but I think um, I I hope you agree, Rosalind, that I think Scottish cuisine. Hebridean cuisine as well, or our um, food culture, is definitely being celebrated more and more over these past few years. And that that's fantastic. I'm very proud to be part of that um, kind of adventure uh, we're having at the moment. 
yeah, definitely. The only time I've ever had a deep fried Mars bar was from a Chinese restaurant in Dubai, and it wasn't that nice. <laughs> As an odd, honestly, I I've been tempted to try and make one myself just to see if how it would turn out. It's got it's quite a skill, you know, to make to make the Mars bar and then then keep it keep it together in the in the frying process. But uh, maybe for book five, I'll leave that for a few years. I think. <laughs> um. So just to kind of go back as well. So you talked about um. The Clutty Dumpling, the recipe that have been going for um, 80 years. But do you have like, what's your earliest memory of food or drink? How does it kind of tie in with your family? Because obviously that seems to be a big part of things. Yeah, it is. It is a big, big part of it. And uh, as with many uh, folk growing up on the Isle of Lewis, uh, life was very traditional. You know, my father was a, a fisherman, so he would be out at sea five for five days uh, a week. My mother was a Harris Tweed weaver and so it was very much um kind of our food was what we had around us my either my father's um uh, fish or whatever he brought home we grew our own vegetables and and uh, potatoes i mean being honest i i really remember only going into stornoway which is uh, our main town it's about 30 miles away probably only two or three times a year, you know, we didn't really, uh, and it was an adventure, it's like going to Las Vegas, like going to Stornoway felt a big, big thing. And um, so from that, it really was what we could grow or what we had ourselves. We had uh, about 400 sheep uh, as well. So we had a lot of, we would more mainly have mutton rather than lamb. The, the, we would sell our lambs. Uh, so uh, mainly just mutton we ate. So a lot of very traditional food, a lot of traditional recipes. But again, all the houses had, there was a beautiful big uh, aga uh, in the kitchen and kind of leaning over to see what was being made on top of the aga, be it pancakes or griddle scones or the clouty dumpling. And it really was all those classic kind of island recipes that, that I remember. So I've had to kind of grow my repertoire kind of over the past few years, but those are still my my favourite ones to go to. And um, kind of modern day as well, how do you kind of feel like obviously you've become really well known and people will probably come to Lewis and um, Harris as well to sort of visit and, and kind of experience it. And tourism has kind of obviously with COVID gone away and come back and there's places like the um, Harris Gin Distillery and like the, it's becoming more of like more and more of like a destination and a food and drink place as well so how do you feel about that and how do you feel about your part in it as well? Uh, well funny enough even I was on the ferry uh, last week and this lady tapped me on the shoulder and she was like are you the Hebridean baker? And I was like yeah and it still surprises me that anybody knows who I am um, but she was like you're the reason I'm on this ferry. I've been watching your videos uh, for the past, you know, two years, and I've dreamed of coming here. And now I'm on my way. And then, and you're on the ferry with me. Feels like, you know, kind of, uh, it, it meant to happen. And that made me feel fantastic that somebody has, as I said, watched my videos or or got my book, and it's inspired them to to visit. Um, I would say would, uh, the island still has a bit to do to grow up uh, from an infrastructure point of view for, for tourism. And it's getting there. I think the islands of Skye and Mull and Isla, they're more set up for, 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 for tourism. So we're getting there. And you're right, there is some real 
destinations now for food and drink. The Isle of Hadis distillery is just the most beautiful distillery. You walk in and they've got the peat fire on and they just welcome you. It's just a beautiful place to go. Uh, I recently was at uh, a restaurant called Uig Sands, which I have to say was one of the biggest treats I've had in the last few years, a beautiful restaurant, the experience of walking in and having that full glass front onto the onto the beach and the food was just beautiful. So I think we're starting to see, I think we always had that rustic kind of coziness to our cafes and restaurants, but now we're seeing some elegance to our, our, our dining experiences coming as well, but also the way that people just love to go to a wee food truck. Um, and that I, I don't use the word remote for the island, but definitely on the island there is, <laughs> there is, um, I would say the most remote pizza takeaway place in the world. It's a shipping container on a croft in the middle of nowhere called Crust, and their pizzas are spectacular. So you have everything from a yeah from a shipping container pizza takeaway to a beautiful fine dining a restaurant at Uigsan. So um, I think people will really experience now the different types of food and drink that we can give, which is great. You made me want to go back. <laughs> I only I know about a lot of these places <laughs> from social media, but yeah, I've not been I've not been for a while. Yeah, so we've talked a little bit about um, kind of folklore as well. So what what for anyone that doesn't really know and hasn't really had a chance to look at your books yet, what would an example of like Hebridean folklore and foods? What what would you say that would be? Um, well, you could imagine uh, we have a lot of myths about monsters and and things on the island, um, and we are probably we. We have lots of giants. We have lots of things who hide in under bridges and all those kind of things. But probably the one that scared us the most growing up was a Ekushka. And they're sort of our version of a Selkie, I suppose, in a way. They're, they're maybe related somewhere along the line. And um, uh, an Ekushka is a, a shapeshifter. And they will take the form of uh, somebody that you would trust. So it could be a old granny or it could be a, a handsome man but they they definitely have ulterior motives to say the least so in the end they'll they'll take you down into the loch and you you're you're there forever kind of thing so but there's one story in my book about uh uh two sisters who who welcomed this old granny into their house thinking it was a friendly old granny and she ate all their porridge and then ate them, which uh, <laughs> isn't the nicest story, but I think it was supposed to scare you away from talking to strangers. I don't know what it was, but uh, the so if you meet a friendly old granny when you're on the island, just just be careful. Just be careful. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it was to stop you from eating all the porridge as well. <laughs> ah, good point. It maybe was. <laughs> um, so you've got your latest book, but uh, yeah, what are your plans for the future? It sounds like it's been quite busy. Yeah, the the second book, uh, My Scottish Island Kitchen, has just been released, and uh, it's the the adventures you get from having a, a cookbook released are fantastic. Uh, I'm currently on my uh, UK book tour. 
and uh, there it is. Uh, lots of pictures of me looking wistful in, in kilts on top of mountains. I feel like the, remember that uh, Scottish Widows advert, the lady with the big cloak? I kind of feel like that, but with uh, with tartan instead. Um, but uh, I will be heading off on my second American book tour in January. And honestly, Rosalind, every day I just get the most wonderful messages and emails and invites to do fantastic things. Uh, I did Martin Comston's travel show uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is great fun. Um, I just appeared on This Morning uh, with Holly and Philip. So every every day something fun happens. And uh, I think that that's the thing I'm most fortunate about is the feedback of what I've done, uh, you know, to become Scotland's best-selling cookbook author last year was wonderful. So let's see if that happens again this year with the new book. Yeah, lo- lots of fun things in my future. Nice. And have you been, I mean, what were you doing before this? Has this always been something that you've done? Like, obviously now it's your full-time job, but have you, is it gone from like, I don't know, what, what were you doing before all this kind of blew up? So um, my career was mostly in uh, sport. Um, I worked in sports development, mostly football. And so I traveled a lot overseas, which I think also has inspired a lot of what I do because I've seen other people's perspective of Scotland. And as you say, trying to dispel those deep fried Mars bar myths and, and make people want to try and see Scottish cuisine in a more positive way. And maybe as well, because of working in kind of brand and, and marketing, I love telling a story. Uh, and so the fact that I can now tell my own stories and stories about the islands makes me very happy. Do you watch the Bake Off? And if so, do you have moments of like shouting <laughs> at the telly? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I absolutely love Bake Off, but I do have a new favourite, which is Australian Bake Off. I don't know if you watch it, but... Oh my goodness, it is amazing. If anybody hasn't started to to watch that, I think it's on like all four or the Channel 4 uh, channel online. But Australian Bake Off is, it feels like it's back to the old days, the kind of cosy days of Mel and Sue and, and Mary and Paul kind of thing. Um, but yes, that that's my catnip is Australian Bake Off. <laughs> yeah, they feel, I feel like they do Australian versions of other things. That Married at First Sight always seems to be the most dramatic one everyone talks about. Clearly <laughs> <laughs> Australia is a place to be. Um, what do you want people to take away from your books? Well, I just, as I said, uh, the, the goal, I've got three goals with my books. And the first one is to obviously try the recipes, even if you're a novice baker. The, 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 my recipes are accessible, easy to make and visual as well. So my books have all the photography and steps uh, and how to do it. So try some of the recipes, visit the Outer Hebrides. Um, even if you if you're from Scotland, you're going to visit a part of the world that's it's going to really open your eyes. You're going to to maybe hear the the Gaelic language for the first time. You know, go go to a Cayley with a big burly Scottish uh, islander, whatever. You're going to have a new experience going to the the Standing Stones at Callanish. So come and visit the Hebrides. And the last thing, uh, and probably what a lot of us hopefully learned during uh, the last few years. It's just to maybe slow down a wee bit and enjoy the the, the simpler things in life. There's a, uh, I was doing this Danish radio show 
and we were talking about Huga. Remember the kind of the trend of Huga a few years ago? And the radio presenter asked me, is there a is there a Gaelic? What's the Gaelic word for Huga? And I was when you're doing radio, you're really on the spot, you know. So I was thinking, is there such a thing? And I thought, yes, there is. There's a beautiful word in Gaelic called blas. And blas means contentment or or warmth. And we have a saying in Gaelic, Betty Blas Erluas, which is there's a time for everything. So just slow down, enjoy the simpler things in life. And I hope that from my books, uh, readers will do, you know, do those three things and, and enjoy that. Oh, that's great. So part of the podcast is a quick fire round of five questions about food, if that's okay. So um, if you can just tell me the first thing that comes into your head when I ask the questions. Okay. Will do. You ready? I am. <laughs> right. Whenever I'm hungry, I think of? Porridge. Comfort food for me is? Um, uh, lamb shank, mashed potato and gravy. My favourite childhood dessert is? Uh, it is apple crumble and custard. My food heaven is? Uh, being in Italy, having the best tiramisu in a restaurant. And my food hell is? Mushrooms. Definitely mushrooms. <laughs> and finally as well, I if you could sit down and share a quake with anyone, whether they're dead or alive, who would it be and why? Um, so I have... Uh, a, a, a real love of country music. And I've been lucky enough uh, as part of my book tour to go to Nashville, which was a bit of a dream come true. So I think having a dram with Dolly Parton and sharing maybe a slice of Clutie Dumpling, uh, that would be a wee bit of a dream come true. So let's go with Dolly. That'd be great. <laughs> really, really lovely to meet you. Really lovely to to chat to you. And I'm looking forward to um, trying out some of your recipes and seeing what you get up to next. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for Rosalind. And uh, hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Yeah. And hopefully we uh, we might come up with a really nice way to do a deep fried Mars bar. <laughs> or <laughs> <the> not. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thanks to Conla for being my guest. I'm really looking forward to trying out recipes in his new book, especially the Spice Plum Crumble, which seems ideal for autumn. Thanks to you too for listening. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe. Scran is a logical podcast that's co-produced and hosted by me, Ross and Derskin, and co-produced, edited and mixed by Kelly Crichton. 